Welcome to the Tron Church Talking Points podcast, a short conversation halfway through the week to help us keep thinking about Sunday's teaching. I'm here with Josh Johnston and uh, Willie Phillip, and we were listening on Sunday to uh, teaching from Genesis and 1 Peter. Now, Willie, going to start off with just a Uh, a question that popped into my head as a youth worker, which is you were telling us not to get bogged down in details and dinosaurs. Now, I don't think you meant that that means that teenagers, for example, who are grappling with these things for the first time, shouldn't be asking questions. What, What could you say about that? No, no, of course not. I loved dinosaurs when I was young. I still remember my dinosaur book. There was a series called the How and Why Wonder Books. Do you remember those, Agnes? And I had the How and Why Wonder Books of dinosaurs among my collection, and uh, it was all very exciting. And uh, when we lived in London, I used to love taking the kids to the Natural History Museum, and there was a very scary, um, enormous... If you've ever been there, you've seen there's an enormous Tyrannosaurus Rex, which moves around and and growls. And uh, So I loved all those things. why are we talking about dinosaurs? Because you told us not to get bogged ah, down yes, in them. Right. And that's I just want right. to check that it's all right to ask questions. It's all right to ask questions. Of course it is. No, my point was simply that um, when we come to the Bible uh, text, we have to allow the Bible to set the agenda. And that means that although we might have all sorts of questions about things, which is perfectly fine to have, um, it may be that the passage of scripture reading just isn't interested in answering those particular questions, but it's got uh, something much more important to say. Um, So there's nothing in the flood account or anywhere else in Genesis about, as far as I can see, about, about dinosaurs. And so if I was to come and ask the question, well, what does this teach me about dinosaurs? The answer is, well, really nothing very much. Um, Or so maybe not, not what I want to hear. Um, And so if I demand that, well, I want it to tell me about dinosaurs, or I want to know exactly the extent of this flood. Was it really over the entire world as we know it today? Or was it more localized? Or these sorts of questions. They're just not dealt with in in the story because um, it's not the purpose of the writer. So it's it's really, really important that we we remember to ask the right questions. So, So... the Apostle Paul tells us, for example, all scripture uh, is written for our learning, that through encouragement um, and endurance uh, we might have hope. Paul tells us that the scriptures, all scriptures are written, that, that they should make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus uh, and to equip us for every good work. So what he's telling us there is God's purpose in giving these, these scriptures and, and we do have to humble ourselves to that because we can be, otherwise we can be in danger of saying, well, I don't care what God's purpose is in this. I want my questions answered. And the answer God gives might be, well, I don't think your questions are that important. So be quiet for a while and listen to what I think is important. So that's a, that's a really important principle. Now, that does not mean that, you know, we don't have questions about all sorts of things. But it does mean that we have to be satisfied that sometimes we have to say, well, the Bible doesn't really answer those questions. Mm. If so, I want to know about dinosaurs, I'm probably going to learn more from the Natural History Museum than I am from the pages of Genesis. It doesn't mean that there's nothing to imply there or anything like that, but um, 
it's not what it's not what it's here for. So when when teenagers or I mean adults for that matter are, are asking these questions, don't, we've got to be careful. Why am I asking? I think I think it's legitimate for teenagers to want to ask questions and burrow sure. down into scripture because they're checking, aren't they, that this is solid ground to stand on. Yeah. That it's not if I ask this question, then suddenly the whole edifice is going to fall apart on, from underneath me. And I think they need to know that too. That when other people come at them with questions, of course, they know. Because they're living in a world where everything around them, the worldview around them, is telling them mm. largely there is no God, that uh, human beings just evolved from amoeba, that you know human beings rose up from the slime to become the great creatures that we now are, and that we've been getting greater and greater, um, and, and, and all of these things. So there's a perceived clash there uh, with the well. There's a big, there is a clash. There's a huge worldview clash. But that is not the same thing as uh, saying that there is necessarily a clash between scientific discovery mm. and, and what the Bible teaches. Because if all truth is God's truth, God doesn't lie. You know, for example, if, 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 if scientists calculate that the distance between you know, our planet and the stars is whatever billion miles because they use clever calculations from physics, in as much as they're, you know, following things and, and, and using proper scientific methods, there's no reason for us to question that that's, that's you know, wrong. Um, if that's true, then that's God's truth. Just as uh, when, you know, we describe the, the theory of gravity or, or Isaac Newton's theories and all these sorts of things, that that's somehow in, co in competition with the Bible, just because the Bible doesn't talk about the theory of gravity. Um, so, of course, there are th these questions, but we just have to tease out... Um, I don't think true, sci true science cannot conflict with the truth of Scripture because otherwise God would be contradicting himself. Um, not all science that we're told is true, of course, is true. And in fact, the very nature of science is it's always being falsified, isn't it? And it's always moving on because... But that's what you find. The truest scientists are, are, are humble. Mm -hmm. But we live in an age of ideology where things are being asserted in a very... Mm -hmm. um, emphatic way to say that well because this is true then the bible can't be true and i think we have to be just very clear that that's these are these are completely different categories of things so i would say to young people look we don't need to be defensive about scripture at all and uh, and we need to be able to inquire and, to and ask there these are questions. answers to your questions and there are answers to your questions and sometimes the answer is well we don't really know god because because god doesn't tell us you've heard me quote endlessly Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 which is that the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed are for us and for our children that we might do every word of this law so God has given us everything we need for life and godliness he hasn't given us things that we need for ungodly opposition to God so we shouldn't be surprised if there are things if, if we're looking for ammunition um, to have arguments with God then that's not God's purpose in, mm. in giving us his word. So we need to be careful. It's, it's really all about our attitude. Faith that comes to scriptures, seeking understanding and seeking honestly to say, well, how, how does this fit with what the Bible says? How does my experience of life fit with this? Those are the right sort of questions. And there are answers to those questions. Mm. But you can equally come with, with, with wrong kinds of questions. Mm. So we, we were seeing you and you were showing us from the, the New Testament writers tell us how we, we should approach a chapter or chapters yeah. uh, like we were looking at on, on Sunday morning. I mean, I take it that Jesus and his apostles know how to understand the Bible. Um, I think we can take that as, a, as an axiom. Um, 
And so when we come particularly to the Old Testament scriptures, some of which, you know, these are, these are uh, writings that come to us from, from a long, long time ago, from, from times that are very removed from us, cultures that are removed from us. There are things in them that, that frankly, are hard to understand. Um, the apostles are going to be our guides mm. as to, uh, and Jesus will be our guides as to what, what is really important. So, for example, I, I quoted Hebrews 11, verse 7, which uh, sums up Noah's life, and this is what it says is important. Noah was warned by God concerning events unseen. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household, and by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So, so Noah, Noah's whole life is summed up by the apostle there by saying, well, God gave him a warning about judgment that was coming. God showed him the way through judgment and Noah grasped that. And as a result of that, he inherited the world beyond judgment. Now, that seems to me to be um, a framework of understanding the story, which should guide our interpretation and say, well, when we come to the text in Genesis, is that what we see? And what we tried to say yesterday is, well, that is what we see. Lord and behold, that, yes. And in fact, in fact, the, the whole structure of the account is ordered to emphasize precisely that. And right at the very heart of it is God remembered Noah. In the midst of that judgment, he remembered him and he saved him because Noah listened to God and did what God told him to do to be saved. So if we miss that, my point is there, there are all kinds of details. And we could have spent hours and hours and hours discussing minutiae of this, of this text that's not what the New Testament apostles do. It's not what Jesus does either. When he talks about Noah, what does he do? He says, the main message of Noah's story is everybody else was ignoring God's warning and Noah didn't. And Noah was right and they were all wrong. And ultimately, there's going to be a day far, far greater than that judgment. Uh, and the real question is not all these minutiae of details, but... Will you be like Noah or will you be like those who uh, ignored and were, were, were wiped away in the flood? Yeah. It's about salvation and judgment. That's what this story is about. Yeah. And that's what we've got to get clear yeah. on. Um, one, one other thing you were at pains to, to say, I think, is that um, Noah and his family were, were saved not apart from judgment, but through judgment. So that's yeah. there's a necessary negative there, not apart from. Can you say a little bit about why that negative is, is necessary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, all the way through scripture, um, salvation of God's people comes through judgment on his enemies. And salvation of people can't come without judgment upon sin and evil because God is a God of justice. Mm. Um, you know, if we imagine a judge who just, you know, uh, was presenting, the, the jury comes in with their verdict, yes, this person has you know, slaughtered dozens of innocent people. Uh, and the judge says, well, I'm merciful, so I'm just going to let you go. There'd be outrage, wouldn't there? There's got to be justice. There's got to be punishment of evil. And God is, God is not good if he is not just. And so there has to be, uh, there has to be judgment. Um, the wonder is there is anything other than judgment, that there is any salvation in the midst of judgment. Uh, Noah was... We will find grace in the eyes yeah. of, of the Lord. There was grace. And we should be more shocked by the grace, shouldn't we, than, yeah. than by the judgment. Yeah, exactly. And, and actually in the Bible, 
Um, the problem is not that God judges. The problem is so often, why hasn't God judged? Why hasn't God judged yet? So I quoted, I, I said in a sense, the flood is, is rather like what Paul's saying in Romans 3, where he says that, you know, it, it shows that God, shows God's righteousness so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Because the problem is in his forbearance, he has left sins unpunished. And that's the real problem. So there must be judgment and there will be judgment. And the flood uh, is one such instance in, uh, of judgment in history. Uh, the wonder is that God saved through that judgment. Mm -hmm. and but he didn't just sort of lift them out of it or judge everything around about them, but, but provided a way through the judgment. Yes, so again, and that's because um, there's only one way through judgment, and that is God's appointed way of salvation. Mm -hmm. There was only one way through the judgment of the flood, and that was to be inside that ark, to be shut in by God. And that's an imagery or, uh, that, that, that is used repeatedly through scriptures. The very same thing happens again. And, and, and you've got to remember always, who is this being written for? Who is writing, who's, who's hearing and reading this? It was Moses and the Israelites. Moses is writing for them. And so the point is that you can trust God, but you must never presume upon God. Mm. So in the time of the Israelites and their great escape through judgment, which I mentioned going through the Red Sea and so on, through the Passover, God came and judged every firstborn in Egypt. He provided his way through the judgment for his people, and that was the blood of the Passover lamb. But you couldn't presume upon that. You couldn't just say, oh, well, God will save us because we're Israelites. No, he saved the Israelites who sacrificed the Passover lamb, who put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels, yeah. and who sheltered under that. And God said, I'll see the blood and pass over. And that's what happened. Yeah. And in just the same way, therefore, um, all of these things are, are patterns and pointers to the way God works. And God always works that way. And so when we come right to the New Testament and Jesus says, this is now what it's all about in the Last Supper. This is the real Passover. This is what all of that was pointing to. This is the blood of the covenant. And you must take and eat because it's for you. In other words, he's saying, you've got to take your, you've got to trust in me. You've got to shelter from judgment it's not under just that me. We, it's not just that we can trust God, but that we, we must, must trust yeah. God. It's a command. See, yeah. people get confused sometimes and say the gospel is an offer of salvation. Well, it is, but it's a command to mm -hmm. salvation, which is why when you, when you defy the command of the sovereign Lord of the universe, you are culpable. You can't say, oh, uh, it's not my fault I didn't believe. I don't have faith. People often say, oh, I wish, this is a common yeah. thing. Well, I wish I had your faith. I wish I had your faith, yeah. And the, the, the answer to that is, uh, no, you need to have my obedience. Yes. <laughs> Or, or you do have faith, you're just putting it in the wrong place. Yes. Well, the, the, the question is not, will, do you have faith? The question is, will you be obedient? Yeah. Show me your faith by your obedience. And that's why, that's why you were bringing this up, Josh. The, the, that's why what we have in Noah is a living example of faith. Hebrews says, that's faith, doing what he did. Hearing what he heard and doing what he did. That's faith. Mm -hmm. That's what we get all the way through Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that's so helpful. Instead of... We haven't been given a, given a systematic theology textbook to kind of help us understand what faith is. We're, we're showing examples again and again of people actually acting in faith and that, that repeated command, I was quite struck by that. You highlighted very well that Noah did what he was commanded. So we actually see lived out, uh, I guess in all the people in actually Hebrews 11, it's people who take God at his word 
which means doing something. And act accordingly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We see that faith in action. Faith is visible. Faith in the heart is visible in the body. So for Daniel, what was that faith? Well, it was praying to God as he always had done rather than, uh, you know, uh, ducking out of that for the three men Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego they would not bow down therefore their faith put them in the fiery furnace faith is when God puts something in front of you and says choose me or choose anti-me <laughs> the opposite that's what faith is mm-hmm. and that's why James says I'll show you my faith by my works he's not saying that works is something different he's saying that works is the visible faith in action it's what it's, you do it's two sides of one coin it's yeah. just one coin yeah it's yeah. the inward and the outward manifestation so it's the visible aspect of it yeah and it's not about the intensity of the faith or the, the confidence with which one can articulate exactly what it is they believe but actually the you know that noah built the ark and, and got on board and the israelite or the in the exodus putting the blood on the doorposts was the sign it wasn't you know could you articulate exactly how god was going to rescue from what was coming or we absolutely certain that it was going to be the case. Well, the key thing was putting the blood on the door and actually taking God out of yeah. the word. It's hearing what God says and doing it. Mm. That's very tangible, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> and, and, and when you think about that, every one of us is faced with um, tests of faith every single day. Uh, God says, come this way. And we decide, well, yes. Or we say, well, I refuse to go that way. Well, that's unbelief, isn't it? And every single day we're faced with all of these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so faith is it's not just a concept. It's not an ethereal idea. It's, uh, am I going this way or this way? Mm-hmm. Am I buying the knee to Christ uh, or am I refusing to? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's faith and that's unbelief. And, it, and it's very gracious of God, actually, that in the way that he's revealed himself to us through history, we have these basically worked examples that, mm-hmm. A young person said to me once in some frustration years ago, why could God not just have made this more simple as we were grappling with some part of Old Testament narrative and, you know, imagining some list of propositions about God. But actually, it's really, it's gracious to have these these sort of patterns and examples that we've got. You were talking a bit about patterns on Sunday morning. Yes, I mean, I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? When Jesus said, you know, all these scriptures speak of me, uh, often all we talk about prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. Often people want to sort of... Mm. Uh, reduce that down to specific verses here and there that have some sort of very obvious fulfillment but it's much much more than that what he's saying is no the whole of the story is about me and and my my way of operating is is infuses everything yeah it's a bit like um it's a bit like an artist you know you get to know you get you, you take john larry morrison for example you know there's something about his painting you see a painting you say oh that's a jalomo it's obvious. His patterns are in it the whole way through. Composers, singers, all sorts of things. You say, "Oh, I recognise that. Yeah. That's the way they. Is, that's that's what they do." God's signature moves are just all the way through. God's signature is on is on on every page, and 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 sometimes very vividly, um, sometimes sometimes uh, you know more subtly. But when we see the fulfilment of the Lord Jesus, and that light suddenly shines back on the uh, the whole mm-hmm. Old Testament, we suddenly begin to see things. And say, oh gosh, that's right enough. I see that. And it, it, it's a it's a, a wonderful web. So I think we saw that um, Noah was a a type of Jesus in that it all hung on his obedience, but also the ark was a type because actually we need to hide in Jesus, be inside yeah. the one place of safety that God has ordained. So it, it it's just kind of it's quite multifaceted, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, that's why I like, to, I like to use the word patterns rather than type because mm. type is quite a technical word and, and, and sometimes people can get a little bit tied in knots and carried away. I mean, if you, if you want to be very specific, there are only two characters in the Old Testament we are actually told are types, tuples of Christ, and that is Adam and Melchizedek. But we see, the, we see patterns everywhere, and that should not surprise us because all Christ's people are united with him by faith. And so uh, all who are his will reflect in their lives something of, uh, of the pattern of his life. One of the great examples, of course, is Joseph. The whole of Joseph's story, when you see mm. it, is a great story of death and resurrection. Uh, he is humbled and you know, imprisoned and enslaved and all the rest of it. And then, and then, he's, and then he's exalted. Raised up to glory. And yeah. he's raised up to glory, becomes the great king. He becomes the savior of all his family and so on. I mean, the whole drama is a, is a great dramatic a story of death and resurrection that's it but it shouldn't surprise us mm. and actually you see that over and over and over again and 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 that's because god is teaching people all the way through this is what it's like this is what to look for and that's why when you come to the new testament and you read in the beginning of the gospels for example and you read about old zechariah and uh, Simeon and all these sorts of people who are waiting and longing for the for the consolation for the comfort of uh, of israel and they see the Lord Jesus, and they and they hear about it, and they understand, and they believe, and 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 those who have been reading and understanding the scriptures properly say, "This is God. This is God's signature on this. This is this is Him. This is what we've been waiting for," and 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 they see it fulfilled, and so. Um, it's, it's just a lovely thing to dwell on in the middle of the week, is you know whenever we remember Noah and the story of the flood, which is is very familiar to us, actually what we're seeing is a little foretaste of yeah. our salvation from judgment. By the yeah. same God, um, and what we're seeing there is, if you like, um, a prototype sketch, a trailer, a trailer. Yeah, and what we're what we experience is, uh, especially we who have the privilege of living mm. in these last days, mm. we experience the, the the far fuller glory of it. Yeah. We understand it more, but we also experience more. Yeah, and and we left we left Noah longing for more, really, didn't yeah. we? And then uh, one one Peter in the evening. Um, is 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 speaking about that longing and and, and fulfilment. Do you want to say just a, a little bit about that before we wrap yeah, up? Yeah, we're, we're looking um, in f in our four sort of main Christmas services at uh, some texts from First Peter. All of our growth groups are, or most of them anyway, are studying First uh, Peter this term. So I thought it would be a useful thing to do. And last night at our festival of Christmas, we looked at the uh, little section in chapter one where. Um, Peter talks about this salvation that the prophets um, uh, who prophesied about it were prophesying about a grace that was to be yours. And they searched, they inquired intently. In other words, they were longing to know more about the one that the Spirit of Christ in them was, was indicating. And he says a very interesting thing. He says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news uh, to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So that's important. People often think, you sometimes hear this term, well, the prophets spoke better than they knew. Well, there may be some truth to that, but what Peter is saying here is that actually they knew that they were speaking better than they knew. They knew <laughs> that they were serving not just themselves, but you. In other words, they knew that what they were talking about was ultimately about a future fulfillment in the Christ, in the suffering and the glory of Christ. I think the Old Testament prophets knew a lot more than we think they knew. I think they had a lot more insight into things. And I think Jesus indicates that where he talks about 
Moses and he talks about Abraham. I think, I think we're too quick to say, well, they couldn't have known all these things. Remember that Moses spoke to God face to face. Um, Abraham spoke to God as one who, whom he speaks to as a, as a, as a friend. Um, so they, they, they knew that there was more to come and there was a great longing for fulfillment that pervades the whole of the Old, Old Testament story. And I wouldn't be surprised if even as far back as, as what we're reading about Noah, uh, Noah knew that there was, there was more than this because we're told, aren't we, at the very end of the flood story, after the flood, where, where, where Noah builds the altar and God says, um, I'll never again curse the ground because of man, though the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So you've had all the great judgment, you're in the new start, the new beginning, and the first thing God says is, well, you, the little group of the household of faith that I've saved, the intention of your heart is only evil from youth. I mean, you, you know, that's very clear, isn't it? The story's not finished. Yeah. This is not the answer. <laughs> There's going to be a whole lot more trouble to come. There must be, there must be a bigger answer to this mm. than what we've seen. Mm. And, and that's well, what we're on the receiving end of, isn't it? That's yeah. what we're on the receiving end of. And I think that all of the great heroes of the old age as Hebrews 11 talks about these, these heroes of the faith, um, we're told that you know, they, they died having only welcomed these things afar off. Mm -hmm. And I think they knew that. Mm. Because they only together with us. They, they, they were looking and hadn't yet received. Mm. Um, so they knew there was more. We're told that explicitly. They were longing for a heavenly country. They were looking for a, an, a, an, a, an eternal city. Mm. Um, so they saw that there was more. And I think we have to we have to understand that they knew that they were to be part of that which was more, um, and they were still looking for it. Thank you. Now, Josh, we yes. share an office. I don't we know. Do. It's interesting information for people listening. Uh, people often ask you a question at communion, which is? Yes, um, and it links very well with what uh, Willie was speaking about on Sunday morning, and I imagine we'll be speaking about it on Sunday morning again. Um, the question is often, why is why do we talk about in communion about more than just us remembering? Uh, why uh, why do we put such an emphasis on God remembering? We sing in our communion hymn every time as well, Lord, remember me. And uh, it's it's a helpful thing, having uh, had Willie speak about it in Genesis, to, to spend a little bit of time there. I don't want to steal his thunder in case he's going to be um, helping us again on, on Sunday with that. But ju just um, my, my brief, quick answer is... Um, when we're told to uh, remember the Lord Jesus, we take um, take communion. It's actually we need to ask him what in what context is the remembering happening, and it's it's in the context of covenant, and so it's a covenant meal, and we think of the great sign of the covenant with Noah. It's the rainbow, and uh, the whole the whole purpose of that was so that God would remember not to flood the earth again. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't it wasn't so Noah remembered what had happened. Uh, quite quite the opposite. In way that the angel of death looked at the blood. Not the people inside yeah. the house, but, but God looking on the at Passover. And you see that as well in Exodus 2. God, God looks on the plight of his people and he, he remembered remember. his covenant. Hmm. And so it's, it's, when God remembers his covenant, it's, he acts in line with it. And it's, it's, it's about uh, fulfilling and keeping, keeping all these promises. I'm and sure what he's got. Does that give you a, a, a way into a teaser trailer for this Sunday coming? Well, funnily enough. Funnily enough. We're going to be looking at exactly that in Genesis 9. I mean, it's the heart of the passage we had this last Sunday, but God remembered Noah. 
What does that mean? Had God forgotten that Noah was there? Of course he hadn't forgotten. What it means that God remembered is God acted in salvation. God remembered Noah and he made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So for God to remember is God putting into action his saving grace and mercy. And all the way through scripture, that's, that's what it's about. And you're right, Josh, these covenant meals, these covenant memorials are not principally for the people to remember, although of course they are, um, but it's, a, it's an act of faith calling God to remember. And it, what it's saying is, Lord, we trust you. You've said this. Be good to your word. Um, and again, that's faith, isn't it? And God responds to that, to that faith. So when the angel um, makes the revelation to Mary about the miraculous birth that she's to have, and she's astounded, and how can this be, and all the rest of it, her parting words are, let it be to me as you have said. Uh, in other words, be true to your word. Uh, she's calling God to remember what he has said. Um, and, and, and that, I think, is helpful because it reminds us that this is personal. It, it, God is the covenant God, which means he's the God of relationship. Um, and to remember is to therefore engage with and to and to and for the love of his heart to flow out uh, towards us as people. Um, so that's what we're going to be on, on on Genesis 9. And it is helpful, I think, uh, for communion. So listen carefully on Sunday. You'll recognize where some of the things that I say every time we have a communion service, uh, where, where they come from. And I think it will be uh, I think it'll be helpful and illuminating. One, one other point I'd add there, just uh, on communion. That we, we saw this when we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 11. It, it can't just be about us remembering because the whole issue when we, uh, with the meal in, in 1 Corinthians is um, the implications it had upon other people. Because the covenant meal actually means something for the, the bonds uh, that, that we have as, as brothers and sisters who are united to Christ. So um, to, to make it just about remembering him uh, doesn't doesn't really do justice to the depth and breadth of um, what a wonderful means of grace communion, mm. communion really is. The salvation for Noah was not that Noah remembered God, but that God remembered Noah. Mm. Good line to end on there. Thank you for that. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Willie. And thank you for listening. We look forward to you joining us on Sunday for more uh, from Genesis and 1 Peter.